Welcome to One Heart, One Mind, a podcast of the Nampa, Idaho South Stake to inspire and give hope in our efforts to build Zion. And now your host, Lindy Bauer. Hello, welcome to today's podcast of One Heart, One Mind, Nampa. I'm Lindy Bauer, your host. <clears throat> We're here tonight with Eric Wadsworth, and we've invited him to share his great love for um family history and how it can bless our lives and all those around us and we're we're super excited to have you on here with your um experience and your your perspective on family history so thanks thanks for being with us thank you uh will you go ahead and tell our audience just a little bit about yourself and uh uh help us get to know you yeah i'll uh, i'll do my best awesome. um my love of family history actually started back when i was at brigham young university I entered BYU in the fall of 1969. I was on a track scholarship, um, and I had an enjoyable time for two years. And then they... Uh, you got to tell us what you were running in track. Oh, I ran the I ran the 400 for one year, and then it was the 800, because everybody beat me in the 400. <laughs> but in the 800, it was I just had a really good time running the 800. Awesome. Um, in my junior year, it was discovered that I have, I have a deformed hip. And so I was, I couldn't run anymore. I had to stop running. Um, from there, fortunately, I went on my mission. And I went to the, what was then called the Delaware, Maryland mission. Um, now I think there's like five missions in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, when I returned from my mission, uh, I met uh, a beautiful lady named Marilyn Jones, who had just returned from her mission in Guatemala. And I'm literally, it's in Boise, I'm standing in the foyer, and I see her walk in. I didn't know her, um, but it was instant. She was beautiful. And so we dated for a few months and got married in uh, April, or August, excuse me, of 1974. And together we've had eight children, and we now have 27 grandchildren, and they're delightful and wonderful, and we love them. Um I re-entered BYU. I didn't graduate after I first entered. Uh, I re-entered BYU in 2004 uh, because they have a program now that you can finish what you started, but you finish what you started at BYU uh, online. So it's all computers and it's all with uh, teachers, professors who talk to you uh, online. So there's not a lot of interaction. Uh, I finished that and graduated in 2010 with my undergraduate degree with an emphasis in family emphasis, excuse me, in family history. I started to say that I got my my first uh, focus on family history and in, in, actually it was in 1971. I took a genealogy class while I was at BYU and I just fell in love with research. Um, so now I'm back to 2004. And then graduated in 2010. After I graduated, for some reason, I wanted to get a master's degree. Um, I worked at a lumber yard for 27 years, and a master's degree in history really doesn't have much impact on your work at a lumber yard. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> but my boss was very supportive. He actually wrote a letter to the university to help me get in. And so in 2014, I received my uh, master's degree. Uh, from the University of Nebraska, Kearney, and um, I just loved the research. So we, uh, 
Marilyn and I went on a mission together in 2017, right after I retired from my employment. And what, what, uh, what sparked you to do that, to go on a mission? Our health was still good, <laughs> and we just wanted to go. We hadn't served together, obviously, when we were younger, uh, and we just wanted to go on a mission. And we, uh, it's a typical, as, you, as all missionaries, when they go on a full-time mission, you turn in all your papers and um, you have the interviews. And we left in January of 2017. That's when Snowmageddon kind of took place here. Mm-hmm. We had so much snow. But we made it back to uh, Massachusetts. It's called the, the Massachusetts-Boston Mission. Our first area was in uh, western Massachusetts in a town called Pittsfield. Our responsibility on our mission, we worked directly for family, not worked, we were under the direction of family search. And we imaged probate records from old, some of them were parchment, all kinds of different types of paper that it was written on. And we imaged them uh, digitally so that um, others can eventually come on and get information from uh, these digital images on family search. And it's, it's available at the New England Historical Society as well. Uh, when we, uh, while we were on our mission, um, we had something amazing happen. As I said, we're in Western Massachusetts and we found out about a family reunion that was taking place in Farmington, Connecticut, which was about an hour and a half from Pittsfield. I can't tell you, I don't remember how we found out about the family reunion, Marilyn would remember, but we found out about it and we were able to attend the Wadsworth family reunion celebrating the first Wadsworth to come to the colony, well it wasn't the colonies then, to come to the Americas and he settled in Cambridge, Massachusetts in 1632. Cambridge is a part of Boston. Uh, Cambridge is now where Harvard and MIT and other unique universities, special universities are. We actually got to go and take pictures of where he settled, where he lived, where his house was in Cambridge. And I got, I love writing about our ancestors and I've written a story about William Wadsworth. Because we're in uh, Massachusetts, we got to do research that otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Did you know much about William Wadsworth going into your mission? I did before, yeah, okay. because I had written uh, an article about, uh, just a paper about him, mm-hmm. uh, because I thought it was amazing what he did. Left everything. He was a part of that Puritan migration that took place in the in the 1630s. Um, the reunion was just unbelievable. As I mentioned, it was in Farmington, Connecticut. We hadn't seen these people before. We haven't seen them since. But the feeling of being together with other family members was just beautiful. They had picnics, and they knew we were missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they treated us so beautifully. And I think I had... um, the uh, Hartford Temple is not in Hartford. It's in Farmington, Connecticut, which is about 10 miles outside of Hartford. And the people from our family that had gone through the and tour the temple, the open house, 
they just loved it. They thought it was so special. Uh, the building and the tour and the ceiling. Um, something that's unique about Farmington. I don't mean and, to just And you're talking going. about your, your family. You're talking about them coming from um, all different faiths. Come, coming to tour the temple. That's uh-huh. obviously part of your faith. Yeah. Coming to be a part of that. And they loved it. Uh, they didn't join the, the church, but they loved what they felt and mm-hmm. saw. And they loved the, the detail that the church temple there in Hartford has. Um, let me back up just a little bit. In Farmington, Connecticut, that's where Wilford Woodruff was born, our fourth prophet. Um, he was born in Hartford, left fairly early, but they very much, even the people now know about Wilford Woodruff there. And we visited a church that was built in 1771, still standing, still functioning. This church was built by Wilford Woodruff's great uncle. Um, And he built it. And it's still, as I said, it's still being, uh, services are held there. And it was just beautiful to go there and just look around and think about who might have in the past, who set foot in there? Wilford Woodruff would have set foot in that very church building. And that's just something that's just special. And we loved it. And we loved the family reunion. Now, one of the things that this would not have happened had we not gone on our mission. But it did happen. And we did go. And we were blessed because of it. I have a, I have a, solid testimony, witness of the power of temple and family history to bring families closer to Christ. That's what it's all about, is how can we get closer to the Savior? We get closer by serving Him. And with family history, uh, it's on your own. It's not, it's not a calling. It's not something where people know what you're doing. It's very private. And maybe that's one of the things that makes it so powerful as far as a conversion uh, towards the Savior, because it's done in behalf of those who you can't talk to for the most part, who can't say thanks for the most part because they're on the other side of the veil. Um, one of the things, if it's okay if, that I talk about the... Uh, um, Learning about, I'm going to jump forward and talk about the journey of discovery that the stake presidency has put together with the uh, assistance of the uh, state council. The journey of discovery is really very basic. You find a name using ordinance ready, or however you want to do it, you find a name that you can do a temple work, a temple ordinance for, a baptism. Uh, ceiling, uh, initiatory endowment. Now, another step with the journey of discovery is you find out something about the person. So I've selected two people who lived in the Wadsworth, oh, I didn't mention, who lived in the Wadsworth house. Uh, during the family reunion, uh, people have, we found out that people had lived in a home in Farmington 
since 1660. That's incredible. The Wadsworth family. It, it just shocked us. Um, the last Wadsworth moved out about a year before the family reunion. And so we found... We're assuming that house has uh, plumbing now, though. It's changed oh, yeah. a bit. <laughs> yeah, it changed a lot. Now, when we walked into the original house, it still has wide planks that you used to have on uh, floorboards back in the mm -hmm. day, back in 1660. Uh, yeah, it's updated. It's got running water. It's got all the mar uh, the necessities of life that we find so important. And it's been updated, and it's it's a beautiful home. We took lots of pictures of it just so we could remember it. Um, I want to catch my thought for just a minute where I was going with this. The two Journey. names, Journey of Discovery. Well, thank you. Yep, you bet. <laughs> just a little cue and I'm okay. Um, so there's two families that had lived in this home who had not been sealed to each other. And so... I picked that um, because eventually the temple will open back up and we'll be able to go seal this husband and wife together, these two people. So the second part of the journey of discovery is finding out details about this person's life. What was it like where they grew up? The town or the, the country, wherever they lived, what did they experience when they grew up? So. I've done that. I've researched what Farmington, Connecticut was like because I love learning about what surrounds people mm -hmm. and being able to stand where people, your ancestors walked and lived and loved and hurt and felt is a powerful experience. So Farmington, Connecticut, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but there was a slave ship called Amistad. Yes. And uh, it, it left Cuba, and the slaves that were on this ship uh, rebelled and killed the crew and were eventually captured by uh, the United States and brought, and their trial was held uh, in, I think, New Haven, near Farmington. However... Farmington actually had the people from the slave ship live in their area. They found homes, beds for them. They took them into the very church that Marilyn and I set foot in and worshipped in. Um, eventually, the Armistead, the slaves from the Armistead ship were sent back to Sierra Leone, which is where the country America used to try to send free slaves, but it just became too expensive. But this group of people lived in Farmington. Farmington also was a headquarters for the Underground Railroad. I didn't know any of this. And I'm, I love it. I'm fascinated by it. In fact, I think, what did they call it? The Grand Central Station of the Underground Railroad, because so many people went through there. So I'm hoping that some of my ancestors would have had a positive influence. Those who lived in that home, because that, the home that the Wadsworths lived in for 300 plus years is right by the church. So they're, they're right by each other. It would other. make sense that they had interaction. <laughs> it absolutely would. Um, 
So that's that's some background on on Farmington. I hope that's making sense. Um, I think you're introducing all of us to a world that we know nothing about. This is okay. That, that intimately, at least. Well, I hope it's interesting. I know it's uh, because I love something doesn't mean everybody else will. But how can you not fall in love with family history? Um, one of the things that maybe we could talk about is what are the blessings we get from knowing and remembering our fathers? Is, would it be okay to talk about Absolutely. that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, here's a quote from President Nelson from uh, April 2020. While worshiping in the temple is presently not possible, I invite you to increase your participation in family history including family history research and indexing. I promise that as you increase your time in temple and family history work, you will increase and improve your ability to hear him. Hear him means hearing the Savior through the Holy Ghost. That was his promise, and I find it uh, powerful. So part of this journey of discovery and what to me makes it so powerful is that we wait until the temple opens before we can do the ordinance work. Well, why? What's important about that? Well, they're waiting. They've waited some for hundreds of years. We have to wait for a year. Um, that's a part of this journey of discovery. And then uh, sharing the story of the person you found and the background you found about them. On May the 30th, the stake presidency has asked that each ward, and because we're on two-hour blocks now, we'll have to probably, we don't have the gym free anymore like we did, we'll have to figure out how to do it. But every uh, Relief Society and Elders Quorum will have the opportunity to share what they learned about their ancestor, just share it with the members of the Relief Society and the Elders Quorum. Here's what I found out, um, and I think other people would find that would find that interesting. I'm talking a lot. <laughs> would you keep going with that a little bit with um, the the blessings that of of family history? And we know you have a, a great love for the youth and desire for the youth to be part of this too. Yeah. Will you share with us why you personally feel that it's so important for the youth to be a part of this whole work? Thank you. If it's okay, I want to read something from Elder Bednar. Please. Um, this is uh, from uh, February 27th of last year, 2020. There was a major family history training for, it was a church-wide program put on February 27th. And then as we all know, like right after that, everything shut down. Here's what Elder Bednar said during this conference, and it's so powerful because it's directed to the youth. But I want to add a particular emphasis to the young men and the young women. I invite the Aaronic priesthood and young women leaders, the young leaders, to please stand up. On behalf of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve, 
to you young people. We have confidence in you. You are the Lord's battalion. And these adjustments that have been made now organize the work of salvation so that it is so focused and so simple. We know, we witness, we testify that you will contribute to helping great things happen in this work all over the earth. We expect you to surprise the adults. We expect you to seek inspiration and revelation. And as you do that in your youth, in a world that is increasingly wicked and ever, make, ever more chaotic, we promise you, you will be safeguarded, you will be guided, you will be protected. What you learn about receiving revelation about others will bless you in magnificent ways. And then he bore a powerful testimony of the Savior and his reality. Thank you for asking that question because it, it's uh, the desire to have youth involved. It comes from the First Presidency and from the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. I actually have some things back as far as 2011 where Elder Bednar and Elder Scott were talking to the youth about doing temple and family history. And if they don't know where to start, how do they start? If they've never done it before, where would you advise that they begin? That's a wonderful question. Thank you. It's not, as he, as Elder Bednar says, it's no longer overly complicated. When I started, it took a lot of effort to get a name to take to the temple. You had something called a TID form that you had to get back, and you just had all kinds of things you had to go through. Now, you can get on Family Search. You have to log on uh, to do to get into Family Search, and you can go to what's called Temple. It says Temples at the top. It's an icon. You hit a pop down, and the list goes down, and you can literally find ordinances ready off of that list. Um, you don't have to research to do family history anymore. Um, there's so many ways to do it, but I hope that answers your question because that's that's crucial. And it's crucial not just for youth, but it's crucial for those of us who are older uh, who just look at family search and go, well, I don't even want to try because I remember people who would find thousands of names and I'd always feel like, huh, I, I, I've never found thousands of names. But that's no longer a part of it, of family of being able to do temple and family history. The church has made it so simple. So oh, simple. my word. And it you'll find really one, once you find that one name, that then, then the research, you just you want to do it. It's no longer a, a burden, but it's, you want, like you were talking about, you want to know who these people are and what their story is and walk with them where they were, even if you can't go there, but feel feel a part of their lives. Absolutely. And you're, you're bound to them. Yep. Um, Joseph Smith, uh, he used, you probably heard this term, he, he said those who, who help build temples and do family history research are literally saviors on Mount Zion. I don't know how you could say anything stronger than that. We are saviors to those who can't do any of their ordinance work on the other side of the veil, because they can't. 
that's why we do the ordinances in the temple. And it's uh, years ago, we had a fellow come. It's when uh, Bishop Fowler, we were in the 22nd Ward. I don't remember if it was a fireside or he came and talked in Sacony. But a gentleman named Bruce Swain came and spoke to us. Some of you may know Bruce. He's been around a long, long time. And he came, and one of the things he said was, just start with family history. Take 30 minutes on a Sunday and start. If you're, And let that spirit catch you and, and be prayerful about it. And you will have you will have miracles that will take place. Um, hope I answered your question. Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. Eric, thank you for being with us tonight. We appreciate your time. We appreciate your love for for family history and for inviting us into a little bit of your heart and piece of this. Um, thank you for being with us tonight. Well, thank you. Glad I could be here. You bet. <laughs> Thanks for listening to One Heart, One Mind Nampa. Credit is given to Kim Keller, who oversees the podcast, both Lindy Bauer and Kim Keller, who are our hosts, Casey Maddox, the project director and announcer, Rachel Bauer, who is our site director. Likewise, thanks also to Kayla Christensen, our project manager, John Freeman, our communications coordinator, Jesus Gomez, the key grip and podcast editor, Don Ricker, our digital platform manager, Rich Petrie, and DJ Holiday for final edits. Thank you for listening to One Heart, One Mind. We hope that you have felt inspiration and hope in moving towards Zion. As always, thank you, and may the Lord bless you.